Good morning. So my children like to talk about how dad doesn't cry. And in, in all reality, that's not true. There are two things at least that make me cry. One of them is India, and the other one is the book of Revelation. And I happen to be preaching on both of them today. So you guys will have to bear with me. Back in 2014, I did not want to go to India. Hashtag hard pass. I could get all of the food poisoning I wanted right here in North Texas. But Amber wanted to hear more about the church's work there. And so we had Zach over one night. And he painted a breathtaking picture full of beautiful brown children. And he told us stories of a real-life Lydia serving in the slums of Kolkata. And he told us of a modern-day Moses and Aaron serving in the deep, deep forests of Rajamundri. And he told us about how the church there looked and sounded like the early church in the early chapters of Acts. And he tempted us, and he dared us to go spy out the land and to go see that it was good. In short, Zach wasn't taking no for an answer, and I bet some of you have had similar conversations with him over the years. So I went to India, and right away, I learned that he was right. I loved it. I loved it the minute that my foot hit the ground. I loved the sights, and I loved the sounds. I loved the music, and I loved the food, and I even got used to the smells. But above all else, I fell in love with the people there, the children, the workers, Smriti, Isaiah, and Ananth. I love breaking bread with them, and I love teaching with them, and I love preaching with them, and I loved very much baptizing with them. I loved praying with them. I loved worshiping with them. And when it was all over, I actually wanted to stay. I was mad that I had to come back. And six years later, I still miss them. And I still pray for them. And I still think about them when we worship in this room. I love India, but India is not an easy place to love, in all fairness. I remember the blessings, but I also remember the curses. I remember arriving in the Kaligat and sharing Jesus with the red-light children. I remember singing and dancing and making a royal fool of myself for Jesus' sake. And I remember catching a little girl's eye, and I remember making her smile, and I remember thinking that it looked like she hadn't smiled in a while. I remember leaving, and I remember looking back and seeing her follow me down the road. And I remember waiting for her little legs to catch up. And I remember her beautiful brown face, still smiling, bright as the sun. And I remember how honored I felt to walk beside her. I remember wanting to take her home, to raise her with my daughter, to see her treated with all the honor due her name. And then I remember reaching the edge of the block and seeing her turn back. I remember seeing her disappear down a dark alley. No doubt like her mother and her mother. 
and her mother before. I watched as the shadows deepened and consumed her till she faded away. And I remember the moment. I remember how angry I was to see her plight. But there was nothing I could do. There was no pharaoh to argue with, no slave master to kill and bury in the sand. So I walked the streets of Kolkata like a pipe bomb, ready to explode. And that night, I quietly sat in my room, and I cried. I cried uncontrollably. I cried, how long, O oh Lord? How long? Like a baby in the middle of the night cries for his father. India broke my heart, you see. And at the time, all those tears, they felt like a curse. But as we'll see in today's passage, broken heart is anything but a curse. Broken heart is a gift from God. In Revelation 5, John sees the doors of heaven open. And he sees and hears a voice like a trumpet telling him to enter. To see the meaning of what has been and what will be. And as he enters, he sees the Father seated on a throne, and he sees a scroll in his hand. And the angel asks, who is worthy to open this scroll? So John waits, and he waits, and he waits for someone to come forward. But no one does. And so he cries. Verse 4 tells us he wept loudly, which in Greek means he put on his ugliest cry face. Now, why does John cry? His tears make no sense to us. Because if we read ahead, we see that Jesus is about to step forward and open the scroll. So why can't John wait a little longer? Why can't he act like a man? A little more like John Wayne. And a little less like John the Apostle. His tears seem more silly than they do sad. We question John's crying because we fail to understand what the scroll means. You see, in the ancient Near East, a sealed scroll was a rare sight, one you might only see once in your life. Back then, sealed scrolls were used to seal the last will and testament for people. Back then, if you saw a scroll, that meant that you were about to receive your inheritance. Now John sees the scroll in the Father's right hand, and he cries. He cries because he knows what's in it. He knows that God holds in his hand the, the inheritance of his people, the same inheritance that his people have longed for and cried for throughout all the ages, saying, the Lord, the Lord is my portion, my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. John sees the inheritance of God, and he sees God's plan for his world, and he cries. He cries because no one's worthy to open him. And he longs to seal the scroll. He longs to see the scroll opened. He longs for it with all of his heart. Because John knows what it means to be persecuted. He knows what it means to be imprisoned. He knows what it means to be hurt and to suffer for Jesus' name. 
And he's also watched God's people suffer again and again and again. And he's seen how sin continues to reign in this world. He's seen how sin continues to oppress God's people. He's seen how sin continues to lead God's people astray. He knows how the the seven churches suffer. He knows how Ephesus has lost its first love. He knows that Smyrna is poor and persecuted for his namesake. He knows Pergamum is struggling with false doctrine. He knows Thyatira is committing acts of immorality. He knows Sardis is dying a slow death. He knows Laodicea's faith is lukewarm. He knows Philadelphia's faith is holding fast. But for how long? John spends his days praying for Christ's churches, and he spends his nights longing and praying for the day. For the day when girls will stop walking down dark alleys. The day when boys will stop visiting dark alleys. The day when sin and death will be no more. The day when faith will turn to sight. The day when the meek will inherit the earth. The day when Christ will come and claim what's his. John cries because he longs to see the inheritance of God with his own two eyes. He longs to share God's plan with God's church because he knows when he shares that plan, it will fulfill their faith. Because he knows that that plan will make sense of this world, this life, and all its suffering. So he waits, and he weeps, and he wonders, is the scroll, is this inheritance, is it too good to be true? But then one of the elders comes to John, and he says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who's conquered, the one who's worthy to open the scroll. Not a lion. Not a lion, but a lamb. A lamb presents himself before the throne to open the scroll. The lamb that was slain, the lamb who conquered sin and death, the lamb who redeemed God's people. John beholds the lamb presented before the father, standing as if slain, with seven horns and seven eyes. And although the lamb looks so strange, so sacred, John knows who he is. He knows this is the same lamb that Mary and Joseph presented at the temple so long ago. Do you remember the scene in Luke 2? When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be dedicated to the Lord, they brought their newborn son to be presented before God because they were faithful, they were obedient to the law. Because they remembered the night of the Passover when God commanded their forefathers to slay a spotless lamb, to consume it, and to brush its blood on their doorposts. That the firstborn children of Israel might be spared. That God's people might testify that God had redeemed them from death to life. And as Jesus is presented, the Spirit rushes upon an old man named Simeon. And Simeon sees the same person that John sees. The salvation of God. The spotless lamb slain for the sins of the world. A light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And Simeon can't help himself. 
He takes Jesus into his arms, and he blesses him with all of his heart. Simeon can finally depart in peace. Why? Because he's seen the innocent one. He's seen the one who is worthy. The one who will stand like a sheep before his shears and not open his mouth. The one worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. The one worthy to inherit the earth. Simeon can depart in peace because he knows his Redeemer lives. This is the Lamb John sees standing before the throne, slain for the sins of the world. And when the Lamb comes forward to take the scroll, the creatures and the elders of heaven fall on their faces and they sing, Worthy are you to take the seals, the scroll, and break the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed your people from every tribe and language, people and nation. You made them a kingdom, and they shall reign on earth. You hear that language? They will inherit the earth. And then the angels join in singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Just like the blessing Simeon offered. And then the Lamb opens the scroll. And what happens? He inherits the earth. He begins claiming what's his. This is what John cries for. And this is what John desires more than anything. And John gets to see it. God grants it to him. John gets to see what's going to happen when the lamb claims what's his. When he inherits the earth. And he sees it all. And to it all he says, with a tear-soaked face, tears of joy. He says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Is this what you desire most? To see the one who's worthy. To see him receive power and wealth, wisdom and might, honor, glory, and blessing. To see him inherit the earth. This is what John longs to see. So he waits for the one who's worthy. He waits and he waits for the one who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, but no one comes forward. And he cries. He cries out for the inheritance of God. And what do his tears, what do his tears do? They summon the lamb. His tears bring the lamb before the throne. Now, like John, we understand and we believe that the lamb is worthy. And like John, we want the lamb to hurry up and appear already. But we don't want to cry out for him. We're tired of all the tears, you see. We're tired of all the sorrow. We don't want to cry anymore. We're afraid. We're afraid if we start crying, we won't stop. And in our hardness of heart, we wonder, is crying really necessary? After all, he's bound to appear sooner or later, right? So why do we have to cry out for him? Why do we have to mourn for the world that we live in? But the softness of John's heart, it shows us the truth. 
that we, we can't just skip. We can't just skip to the part where Jesus appears. If we want him to come and claim what's his, we got to cry out for him. You see, we have a part to play in this story. And our part's the same as John's. We're meant to mourn over the brokenness of this world. And we're meant to cry out for the one who's worthy. To break the seals and open the scroll. The one worthy to inherit the earth. To make it new. When we're bowed down with sorrow, our tears, they feel like a curse. But our tears are a blessing. Do you see? Our tears are a gift from God. Because when we cry and when we mourn, we share in his heart for this world. That's what India taught me. God pierces our hearts for this world, just like Jesus' heart was pierced. And when we cry, when we mourn, we offer our tears back to him. We pray broken prayers. We pray broken prayers, and they rise to him like smoke from a bowl of incense. And it pleases him. It pleases him to see us sharing in his sorrow and in his hope for this world. Ah, but still, we don't like crying out even for the one who's worthy. And we don't like mourning even for the brokenness and the suffering and the fallenness of this world. We like living here and now, carefree and oblivious to the woes that surround us. Crying out to God makes us feel vulnerable, like we're not as safe as we pretend to be, like the comforts of this world are no comfort at all. We try to console ourselves. We say, well, at least 2020 is behind us, right? We try to convince ourselves that things aren't that bad. Meanwhile, what's happening? The church of God continues to be persecuted. And our age continues to be marked out by pain and suffering, sickness and death. Instead of settling for a fallen world, John longs for more. You hear that? John longs for more. He teaches us to share in God's heart for this world to mourn for the way things are, and to cry out for the one who's worthy, to cry out for the one who will inherit the earth, the one who will make all things new. John teaches us that our, our tears are a gift, a gift that we pray back to God, an offering that brings forth the Lamb, an offering that helps make this world new. And as we cry out to the Lamb, as the Spirit and the Bride say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. He reminds us and he reassures us that although these days are evil, and they are, things won't be like this forever. He reminds us that he's making all things new. That someday all things will be made new. That someday, folks, we're going to see his face. In closing, there's a song we sing called, Is He Worthy? And the lyrics are taken from Revelation 5. And they're worth considering because they sum up the passage better than I ever 
could. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? And is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? And is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he's David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.